situation that I have desperately sought the well-being and the healing of my own children. I've never seen them in that place in which life or death hangs in the balance, but though I've never experienced this particular situation, I've often been in desperate situations. You cannot live on this side of eternity under the curse of the fall without being in those desperate times. We've all been there. Times in which the urgency of the moment dictated that we needed to pull out all of the stops and not hold back so that every perceivable effort could be exhausted for the sake of a desirable outcome. That's what this father's doing. And you have to applaud the love that he has for his family. In the moment that he learns of Jesus' nearness, he abandons any other matter that might have been around him. Nothing else matters as much as him going to Christ. And he doesn't do it by proxy. He doesn't send one of his servants. He doesn't even send another family member. He goes himself. And when he goes after traveling 18 miles, he finds Jesus. And I love the way that the NIV translates this text. It helps us see that he cares nothing in those moments for being dignified. He doesn't care about people knowing of his immense wealth. None of that matters. When he finds Jesus, the NIV is accurate. He begs him to go with him, to go with him so that he can go to where his son is laying and dying. And this church is the way that every single person must also go unto Jesus. This is the only way that will be acceptable for us to approach him, realizing that if not for Christ, we are utterly ruined and we have no hope outside of him. This is where true faith always begins. Has it ever happened for you? That you've thrown off everything that's dignified about you? That you have just cried out for him and you've gone straight to him and begged for him to do what only he can do? It's the kind of spirit that's exemplified in the writings of John Bunyan, the author of what I believe is the second greatest work in print that's ever been written outside of the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan one time expressed this same sentiment when he wrote, I was driven to such straits that I must of necessity go to Jesus. And if he had met me with a drawn sword in his hand, I would sooner have thrown myself under the edge of his sword than have gone away from him, for I knew him to be my last hope. So this is what we must do. All of our actions must testify that Jesus is our last hope. This is where real faith always begins. It's when we come to this place that we are hopeless without him. And this is the place that this desperate, genteel, wealthy father had landed. And what you find here is that he begs. And after he begs of Christ, he listens. And that takes us to the next step of what we must happily accept if we're going to receive eternal life from him. Jesus never promises to meet his full request, does he? 
He never promises to join him on the trip back home. So there is, in Jesus' answer, a partial granting, but there's also a partial denial. And when we read of that, we need to remember, never has there been a more tender heart beat in a human chest than the heart that beat in the chest of Jesus. But he refuses to go with him back to Capernaum. And he doesn't even give the father a sign. All he gives to the man is his word. And here's the next lesson that we learn about true faith. We've got to go to Jesus on his terms, not ours. This is what the man needs the most. And Jesus knows that's what he needs the most. So he meets him at the point of his need. And he didn't need to see the signs and the wonders beforehand because if he saw those signs and wonders, just like everyone else required of him, it would have cheapened the trust that he needed to now learn. So instead of giving a sign and instead of joining him, he simply tells him to go because his son will live. What a text. You know, as I read this, I'm, i got to tell you, there are often times that I am amazed when I see excessive pride in the lives of others. They just want to control everything, including the way they think they come before a holy and a righteous and an all-powerful creator. It always amazes me the way that they want to respond to the Lord, doing it on their terms. The way that Sinatra, I think, used to sing. To do it your way. It always bothers me when I see it in the life of others. Can I tell you? Sometimes I have to admit I'm blinded in the way that that excessive pride exists in my own life. I'm always glad when others love me enough to tell me, hey, you've got way too much you for us, Pennington. You need to understand who you are and where you fall beneath a holy God. We say That we want to come to Jesus, but we insist on coming to Him on our terms instead of the way that we are called to go before the Father. Isn't that what we're learning as we're reading through the book of Leviticus right now? In our Bible reading plan, as we're going through the Guthrie plan, those of us who are, and we're reading about how specific God is in the way that we are to approach Him so that we never send up a strange fire that is an unauthorized fire of worship, that everything we do is as unto the Lord. And as you read through Leviticus, you can't even get through a paragraph, and it says, and Moses did everything that the Lord commanded. He doesn't adjust to us. We always come before him the way that he requires. And this is what Jesus asks of this father. And this is what he calls him to do. And thankfully, the father answers in the right way. He took Jesus at his word, and he goes on his way. But the story doesn't end here. In fact, I would argue that it only gets better. Verse 51 tells us that what the father does next was simply go home. But before he made it home, do you see the excitement of the servants? 
They know the way between Capernaum and where Jesus is in Galilee. It's probably just the same road. So they are so excited about what happens, they cannot wait for his arrival. They get on the road to meet him even before he gets home. It's the same kind of picture as Luke 15, the love of the father looking for the prodigal son who has turned away. And when he sees him in the distance, he runs to him. The servants are running to share this great news. The news that this son who looked like he was at death's door and nothing was going to stop him from being healed, now he's getting better. Do you think the father's surprised? Not in the least. Of course, he is able to appreciate their excitement. He already knew that. He knew that the moment that Jesus made the promise that everything was going to be okay. The only question he asked of the servant is, can you just tell me the hour that he started to improve? And they said, yeah, it was the seventh. That's when it all started. And the text is so clear. The man knew immediately that that was the very moment that Jesus promised him that his son would be healed. And I love that. Isn't that an incredible story? But if that's all you're seeing, you're still not getting to the best part of it. There's a detail that I just do not want you to miss as we read John chapter 4. Please underline this in your Bible because this is incredible. Look at what it says in verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, and here's the word, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That's the word I want you to remember as we end chapter 4. Yesterday. What an incredible word this is. After the man received the promise for Jesus, he could have immediately gone back home to Capernaum. It was the seventh hour, 1 p.m. Plenty of time to make it 18 miles to get home before supper. But he did not go directly home. He stayed there in that region where Jesus was. And we don't know why he stayed or what he did. But we just know that he's still there the rest of the day. Now we can imagine what he could have done. Maybe he had work or business that kept him there. Well, I've already settled the biggest thing, but while I'm here, I'll go do this. Maybe that's what it is. I don't really think that was it. I think he was with Jesus and he lingered because what an opportunity to get to spend time with Christ. What a chance to listen to the disciples and to learn more and more about the Messiah. I think that's why he stayed. But what I want you to really remember is the fact that he did not go home the same way that he went. He was in a mad rush to get to Jesus, but the moment that he found him, and the moment that Jesus made the promise, there was no reason for him to rush home. He could simply rest. And the fact that Jesus had already answered the problem, so he didn't have to hurry. And then you come to this incredible detail. After he gets home and his son is okay, the father realizes that he was healed the moment that Jesus declared that he would be. It says in verse 53 that he himself believed in this whole household. So who would have thunk it? 
the whole time that the man goes on a rescue mission for his son, the father who thought his son needed to be rescued is actually the one who Jesus rescues. The son is rescued in a way even greater than the need to live another day. Eternal life is granted to him. And the entire household believes. And forever and ever, they now get to enjoy the fullness of eternal life. So the last detail of what we need to remember of true faith is that we need to let the promises of Jesus be all the proof that we need. So this man is unique. He is nothing like the mass of people who only want to believe after seeing the signs and the wonders. Don't get too hard on the masses. This is still where so many people live, thinking that Jesus is there to meet our needs, to come to us the way that we want him to, thinking that salvation is about us. And it's not until we take ourselves out of the center and we put the Lord there that we understand it's not about us. Everything about the rescue is about the glory of Christ. And then we get to be a part of those who glorify him. It's all about his glory. So has this ever happened for you? John writes this entire gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son, and that by believing in him, we'd have life in his name. Have you ever come to the place in your life that you've understood he's your only hope? You don't make the terms, he does. And when he gives you the promises, you just rest in those promises. Because when you live your life understanding faith this way, then you get eternal life. Do you have it? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And as we think about this text, just know there's got to be people here who need to hear it because you do not know Christ for whatever the reason. You've never understood that only when you come to him begging for him to do what only he can do can you really receive him. At the end of yourself, unable to even do anything to ever earn the right, you realize that Christ must do it all for you to be saved. And he has. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, was raised from the dead so that, just as we've already read, when you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you come to him on his terms. You repent and you turn away from your sin. You believe everything about Jesus is true and you believe his promises you'll forever know him. If you need Christ this morning, won't you just trust him? Won't you realize that only in Jesus can a person really be right with God? And for the rest of us, this life of faithfulness to him requires us to always be reminded we never lose that, that we always are hopeless if left to ourselves, totally dependent upon Jesus. We always return to a place that we only can come to him on his terms and rest in his promises so that we can live each day growing to become more of what he wants us to be. Father, I pray that this is the daily commitment of all of us 
And Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to receive you as Savior, I pray that you'll save them in an even greater way that you saved the boy and gave him health, that you'll save everyone here and give them eternal life in you. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand up together as we sing. I pray that you'll respond to the gospel. If you need to come forward and unite with our church, we'd love for you to do that. You can, we can start the process of membership. Just respond to the Lord, and I invite you to come.